Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. Hey, this is Bill Perkins, author of Die With Zero. I'm here on Simple Passive Cashflow talking about optimizing your life and living the best life you possibly can. What's up, folks? Happy week of March 6, 2023. That was Bill Perkins with a little bit of soundbite. Be on the lookout for the podcast I did with him talking about his book, Die With Zero. Great podcast and even better book, Changed My Life. So you'll be probably hearing themes of that for me in the coming quarters and probably at our next retreat, which looks like it'll probably be in California, June 24th, right before 4th of July. But let's get into the news. We're going to be finishing off with probably one of the most common questions I've gotten about passive activity losses, real estate professional status. So stay till the end for that. But first article here is from Yahoo Finance. We talk about this all the time. I'm trying to keep up with this and keep you guys abreast of what's happening with inflation and rates. But you hear Fed's calls for higher rates after concerning inflation jobs data. So I'm speaking last week, Wednesday said more aggressive in interest rate hikes are likely to necessary to slow inflation as the central bank keeps raising rates as elevated levels for some time. The Minneapolis Fed president said Wednesday he is remaining open-minded about whether the Fed should raise rates by 25 or 50 basis points at his next policy on March 21st, 22nd. Until then, everything's just, everybody's just speculating. I think last time, I think everybody's thinking it's going to be 25 basis points. Last time it was 25 basis points. If it's 25 basis points, maybe that's a good news that they're going on plan. And if it's 50, maybe that's good news that we can just, let's just break the system is what I say, right? Just take all our medicine. Let's just jack the interest rates high, make some pain so we can get back to interest rates going back to normal. That's what I say. And that's what I would rather see. I'd rather them see just break the system and just jack up the interest rates. And then so it can finally get through this. They're saying that's given the last, the data in the last month, higher inflation than we expected in a strong jobs report. This is concerning data that points suggesting we're not making progress. We're not making much pain in the system, basically, is what he's saying. Atlanta Fed president said he believes the Fed needs to raise its policy up 50 basis points to a range of five to five and a quarter and hold it at that level into 2024. They said that U.S. is not in recession right now, pointing to small, strong job growth, but said whether the Fed can avoid causing a recession with its interest rates heights to fight inflation, a soft landing be- remains an open question. And the way I read it is just both of these guys are trying to CYA. They're not saying any one thing. They're not being definitive. If they were to be quoted again in the future, looking back at this article, they just don't want to be saying that it is that they weren't right. It's very rare that you're going to get one of these guys to say it will absolutely be 5.5% or whatever it will be because nobody knows. I think if anything, they, they, they're kind of taking things as things go. And everybody's saying that they don't want what the Volcker led Fed, they don't want that thing to happen, which is what in the 1970s, the central bank was increasing rates and they stopped raising rates. And they, they cut too soon, causing inflation to resurge and forcing the Fed to raise rates again to even higher level. Nobody wants that to happen. So it's, let's just break the system. 
Let's just get this inflation under control, break it with a fever, with high interest rates, and let's just move on. Wall Street Journal reports that apartments fall by 3.5%. They're talking about the rents. And of course, you'll always be the first one to say this is on a national scale. You're always trying to cherry pick the best markets. But a lot of this is just pent up demand getting filled and not and now getting out of the system. I would also, I was kind of reading the article and I was, did it take really into account since the current months we're in is a slower, traditionally a slower lease up period. And I guess we'll see come the spring and summertime pushes when typically rate rents typically raise once again. I think we'll know for sure. Everything's been really weird, right? Coming out of the pandemic and then coming out like race horses, getting up that pent up demand. And then now we're seeing the after effects of where rents are coming down the most, mostly because they skyrocket the most, Phoenix and Las Vegas. One can see this is cooling down because it went up so high. But I think the thing I'm looking at is on a year-to-year basis, it's still generally going up. And I guess what, where my personal antidote comes in, looking at our assets, are really focusing on, you either can have one or the other, most times occupancy or pushing the highest rents, right? You, tr- you try and push rents, you're going to be higher rents than some of your competitors, and you're going to go less in occupancy, may drop below 90 or 80%. And right now, we're definitely in a period and this can change from month to month or even in quarter to quarter but right now we are prioritizing occupancy over getting the full market rents at this point now it means very different things at different properties but just to give you guys something tangible to think about normally you want to hover at 92 95% occupancy maybe in this case where you'd like Right now, on average, it's 90% occupancy and 100% of the market rents. We're looking to, let's get it filled up, especially some of the value-add projects, right? That where occupancy naturally dips as you're getting out the bad tenants and going through all the old tenants. But you're definitely wanting to push the occupancy into the high 80s and maybe even mid-90s in some of the more occupied properties. And you're willing to 95, 90% of the market rents at this point in the game. And I think that is a little bit industry-wide, which is why you're seeing a little bit of this misleading statistic that rents are a little bit down. Because it's this constant horse race of occupancy higher sometimes than the normals and then rents higher than market based on the normals and it flip-flops back and forth. And it's a little bit of a dynamic situation. If you guys want to get access to some of our investor-only webinars and reports, join the club today and see what's on the inside. Don't just be a lurker on the podcast or a YouTube channel. You get access to a lot of other foundational e-course content. You guys can sign up by filling out a quick form at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Moving on, multi-housing news reports self-storage street rates slow in January. The average national street rent for all unit sizes, and we're talking about self-storage here, decreased 2.8% year-over-year as it did in December. So taking a look at some of the standard sizes like the 10 by 10s dipped 4.1%. And while the rates for a 10 by 10 non-climate control represented a only $7 decline compared to the record peak of the summer of the 10 10 Climate control units showed a only $11 climb from their summer 2022 peak. So just like the last 
article we're talking about a little bit lowering or coming off the highs of rents temporarily, right? Because if anything I know, rents have never historically gone down for any long period of time as all costs are rolled down to the bottom level, unfortunately. But also self-storage are also doing the same thing here. As you read, if you guys want to check this out on the YouTube channel, you can kind of and drill down into some of the the markets where things have come way, way down, some as low as 8% in some markets for those 10 by 10 units. Here's another article by Rutgers talking about Blackstone defaulting on a half a billion dollar bond back portfolio. So this is very important, right? Blackstone is big behemoth private equity company. They not only do things in real estate, but all asset classes. They are a gigantic beast to say the least. But they defaulted on a $562 million portfolio and one can, I think unsophisticated folks see this as, oh my goodness, the world's going to come to end. The Blackstone is defaulted, but we don't know what exactly is going on. If you, From my point of view, maybe they're just using this as a reason to restructure their loan. The way things work as the private equity company, Blackstone, in which we play that role too, is the, you're working with the bank. And sometimes the only way to get the bank to restructure or throw your weight around in Blackstone case is to default. What is the bank going to do? The banks, most banks are not in the business of taking over the assets. They're not equipped. And if they did that, they would screw themselves over and not be able to, and basically lose more equity over time. They much rather the operator, the real estate operator or Blackstone, for example, to hold on to the keys than to the keys being passed over. But this is the constant battle between banks and operators that are happening at all times, especially with the floating rate environment we're at now. The banks will come back to operators and say the debt service coverage ratios aren't being met because the big thing that's happening, if you have floating rate debt and it went up 4%, more than double, you know, and your debt service has more than doubled, you're probably not going to hit your debt service coverage ratios to no fault of your own other than just the unfortunate circumstances with rates. But the bank comes back to the operator and says, now you're out of compliance. And it's just like the pandemic, like people, like business owners or people who rented, they weren't having income. They couldn't work. They were stuck at homes. And in this, in a similar but different way, a lot of landlords are into these loans and they are out of compliance, but it's not really their fault. And in a way, the ways it should happen is the banks and there should work together, right? They both meet in the middle based on these circumstances, because at the end of the day, both parties are aligned that they want to keep the operator the operator and the bank as the bank and the bank doesn't want to take over the keys to the property. Now, personally, I see an opportunity for someone to play what we call mezzanine debt, where you've loaned to own or predatory lending in a way. But banks, normal banks aren't into this. But if a certain operator group out there was interested in creating such as a virtual vulture fund to loan money to people who need it for a reasonable outcome to be to take over the asset at a great equity basis, that's a great business plan. A lot better than the other business plan that I had the other day with the karaoke machines in Uber cars. People want to go out partying and put a karaoke machine in there. And it's great service, add-on service um, that you can advertise on Uber or all these uh, ride-sharing companies. 
that's just another entrepreneur idea that's not quite, I guess it is scalable, but I think I'll stick in my lane and the mezzanine debt option to go after and to loan to own struggling operators might be the better business that I think probably I should look into more than karaoke machines in the Uber cars. You guys want to do it out there? And you guys are serious about it? Let me know. I'd be interested. Might want to invest in a project like that. That might be a fun one. Because if you guys read the book, Die With Zero, it's all about experiences, right? But anyway, getting back to the seriousness in the articles here, commercial property executive is talking about office deliveries. The top 10 markets for new offices being delivered is Manhattan, Austin, Boston, San Francisco, Dallas, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Atlanta, and the Bay Area. So deliveries totaled nearly 61 million square feet nationwide, uh, which is 0.8% of the total stock. This is a constant regeneration of as things get old in the commercial world, right? You can't hold on to an asset forever. An A-class becomes B-class becomes a C-class. You can only do so much to put lipstick on a pig. I just came back from Jacksonville, did a nice video for some of you guys, investors in that deal. We're taking on, I believe they've built 1950s, putting a little bit of capital infusion in it, make, keeping it a, still a class A product. But at some point, the bones on some of these assets just get too old and you can't rehab this stuff, which is why you always need to have new stuff being built. And the whole development part of the supply or creating that product will always be around. Although I would probably argue with everything that's been going on with the capital markets, with people struggling to get effective loans, it's probably going to be going down, which probably means that there's less competition if you wanted to get into it. So I would say it's a great time to be building if you can get it done. Uh, what's shaping the multifamily development market in the Midwest? So the hottest markets for multifamily development in the Midwest, making that key point here, are Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, Ohio, Nashville, Tennessee, and Kansas City, Missouri. Because economic diversity and growth are big drivers of why the cities are so successful. And they were talking about the Midwest here. Not particular saying that the Midwest is the best, but out of the Midwest, those are the markets to be in. Then they say Midwest markets are generally more resilient, especially during periods of economic uncertainty. Unemployment tends to stay lower in secondary Midwestern markets compared to the national average. And the larger gateway markets, which larger gateway markets are typically your more sexier class A places to live. And they cater more towards that tech sector, which is right now heading downhill. I'm sure it'll come up again if ChatGPT doesn't replace all the computer programmers within the next decade. But that's a joke. That's not going to happen. I know you guys, a lot of computer programmers out there saying, not my job, not going to take my job. That's the opinion of Midwestern markets, a little bit more, less tech, more financial, old school type of business. This question was, I have a lot of people talking about the PEP fund, starting to pay the monthly, getting track on the monthly payments. So if you guys come in, you guys get paid the first month. So ain't nothing more. Simple passive cash flow than that. If you guys want to get access to that, let us know um, where we're investing in preferred equity, right? Not some of these like random unsecured notes, stuff that's really backed by hard assets producing cash flow, where even if the business suffers, we are preferred equity, right? That ideal placement on the capital stack. But we had a question, people want passive losses, but my whole argument is most people don't need passive losses. And here is the reason why. 
This question comes up a lot of times, right? Like I hear real estate is a really good way to save money on taxes. And yeah, I guess I'm guilty of going along that marketing thread too, as we talk about deals. But the reason why we made the pet fund is the truth is most of our clientele are not doing real estate professional status. And therefore, the passive losses doesn't really help. Them. So going back to the 101, a lot of people, including gentlemen here, has high ordinary income, but low passive income. The passive income from syndications or the rentals can be zero with passive losses. So even if they got more passive losses from other syndications or tax file fund, for example, it can only be used to knock out their passive income down to zero. And oftentimes the investment will have enough passive losses to begin with to knock them out here. Now, even if you got a gazillion passive losses, it won't be able to use to knock out the ordinary income because there's this red line here effect. That said, the red line goes away if you have real estate professional status. Like I said, this gentleman is not using real estate professional status. Therefore, he can't really use it. But the analogy for people who used to play Legend of Zelda in their childhood <laughs> and left those years behind, it's back. But real estate professional status is like the bow and the arrows are like passive activity losses. You need both. And I think see too often like people will, oh, I don't want the pet fund because I want passive activity losses. I'm like, dude, you don't even have the boat. You don't have real estate professional status. So you can't even use all the freaking arrows anyway. I guess it make, makes sense or is this? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And so it's either you got to, you get the status, real estate professional status, or just focus on ROI of the investment you're making. You yeah. Know? So go, go into pet yeah. fund or something. Yeah. I think there's a couple exception cases. Let me just say, if you're under $360,000 Marifal jointly, rep status typically isn't worth the brain damage because you're not paying that much taxes anyway. But where you are, sir, you're higher than that. So real estate professional status does come in to be a viable option. And we can talk about that later. But I just want to, if anybody's listening here and you're making under this 364 for 2023 or just for inflation, but in the future... But if you're not doing rep status or yeah, if you're not making more than that, rep status isn't going to be too much of a net benefit unless you like to do things with low amount of impact and brain, high brain damage. Therefore, you know, you're not going to be able to, even if you had a lot of passive activity losses, it's not going to help you. So just grow your money. One exception would be like, there are some people that are below this line or maybe an above that are selling their rental properties and temporarily for one year may have a big capital gain from that sale and they'll have to recapture that. Now that may push your income higher, but to me, I'm not a CPA tax attorney, that is passive income when you do make that. So that would be a case where, yeah, maybe I'm selling a rental property and I have a $200,000 capital gain and I've held it for a long time. So I have $100,000 of recapture there. So maybe I am going to have a $300,000 increase to my income. The question is what kind of income? If you ask me, not an attorney, CPA or attorney, but to me, that's passive income, especially if you've held it more than a year or two. If you don't, and we get this a lot from clients, their CPA says it's ordinary. I think it's time to look for another CPA, email us back for a referral for those of you guys in a family office group. 
we do have other people that are a little bit more willing to hold you guys by the hand there. At that point, you may need passive losses to offset that. And that's what the tax pile fund is. So you can call a cart. Maybe you go in with 300 grand, you get $300,000 of tax, the passive losses to offset that one bullish year. But that would be the only situation where you don't need rep status to offset that, but you would want to grab losses. But for most people, I'd say 80 to 90% of our clients not doing real estate professional status and aggressively driving their income under 200 grand or maybe driving it to zero or hundred grand and therefore real estate professionals that are, yeah, they're, they don't need passive losses. They just need to grow their income. And I think this gentleman mentioned, yeah, it just becomes a game of looking around your portfolio for more than things that make 5%. It's the 5% witch hunt, get it making 12% at the very least. And if you're under $2 million net worth, this whole wealth building game is a game of inches. Get your stuff making 5% or heck, even stuff making zero. That's what I, that's what drives me crazy. I look at people's portfolios and they're making nothing on some of the stuff, especially in the dead, lazy equity in their homes or money market accounts in their 401k stuff. Get that stuff making under 5%, making 12%. That's the name of the game. But I guess any follow-ups or kill that question. <laughs> No, it's good. No, that's a helpful one. I think it's, I think for me, it's either go through the, what do you call it? Brain damage of the professional status, which could be valuable given where I'm in that 35% bracket. So yeah, yeah. there's probably some ways to go to bring down my AGI. Yeah. If you're at like 650, I think it would make a lot of sense to do rep status and then drive yourself at least down to 360. And when you get more invested, you get a more alternate investment, you'll start to see your passive activity losses naturally climb over time, mm -hmm. 200, 300,000. People who invest a lot have over half a million, million dollars to spend a passive loss and it doesn't seem to come down from there. It naturally just keeps going and going. In the beginning, it's hard, right? Because you don't have very much in it. But that's once yeah, people start to yeah. contribute more, that then I'm, then, yeah, I always try to be conservative and say, well, get yourself at least out of this red zone, 32, 35% range under 360, 350. But then once you start to stockpile and hoard more losses, then I'm like, drop yourself down to maybe 200. And then just using myself as an example, experience share here. I think four years ago is when I stopped paying taxes <laughs> because I had enough passive losses built up and this kind of happened to me where I had, I don't know how much passive losses I have. Maybe it's over a million, two million. I don't even know. I don't even count it anymore. But like at that time, four years ago, I started to really have a lot of passive losses, 300, 500,000. And that year, my CPA had me pay no taxes for the first time. And the hoarder in me, the value person in Hawaii, if you have one, you have none mentality. If you, I was like, Hey, Mr. CPA, shouldn't we like not burn up all my passive activity losses because I'm not getting any net too much net benefit on these lower rungs here. Shouldn't we save it? We save mm -hmm. everything. That's how we got here as frugal mm -hmm. investors. He was like, yeah, don't worry, man. Like you probably save the smaller Delta here and you're probably going to grow that money then to maybe in the future, if things go well in a way and deals cash out, you may pay incremental five, 10% on that. Maybe in the future, take with money in your pocket earlier, especially the way we all can grow our money, right? Much better than the average guy out there on the street. It was better for me. So we played the game so that I paid no taxes, burned up the paths of losses and just roll with that. And that's what we've been doing ever since. But I think that comes to play once you've been stockpiling hundred, $200,000 plus the passive losses. And that's why this is like a few year program. You start to set down this baseline here, starting out, at least get yourself out of the red zone. 
650 down to 350 with your need rep status to do that because everything you got is ordinary income. In the coming years, you're seeing how this kind of stepwise on top of each other. Maybe one year you take it down to 200. And then after a while, you're playing the game like some of our pros that we have where they just drop it all the way to zero. And those are the pros and they may have deals cash out and they may be like, oh shoot, I ran dry on passive activity losses. But that's why we like those higher net worth, more sophisticated investors because, ah, you got me. I got to pay some taxes <laughs> this year. Ah, I guess you got to pay some taxes at some point after not paying taxes for years. Or there are, these are the guys who call up in December. Okay, I got to... What do you got? I got to do some, I got to get some passive losses. I don't <laughs> care what the heck it is. Right? Give me in a deal by the end of the year. Yeah. What do you got that give me some losses? But... Yeah, that's helpful. Really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Any other Sorry. questions on this topic? And... No, I'm good. That's it, folks. Hope you guys have a great week. Make sure you sign up for Investor Club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also please share this podcast or YouTube channel with your friends. And because... I'll be honest with you guys, like as most people who call in, we get to know each other. Not many of our friends, family, our credit investors, or even do anything remotely to what we're doing here. And it is a little bit of a lonely world, which is why when people come to our events, such as the one in California coming up, they just have a blast. So hopefully we can meet each other in the future and tell your friends so you can bring them along with you on this ride.